0: Hey everybody, it's Jason here. A couple quick notes on this episode and the show in general. Uh, Number one, our guest is a fantastic Robert Duncan McNeil, who you may know as Tom Paris from the television show Star Trek Voyager, uh, but he also has a a lengthy uh, TV directing career. Uh, including uh, the recent Resident Alien starring Alan Tudyk, which is such a good show. So the fun thing about this episode, we recorded this a few weeks ago. You may have just heard my episode with Andrew Ray of Binging with Babish, where I threw a curveball at him and um, let him speak with one of the writers of his fa- one of his favorite episodes of Frasier, Chris Marshall. That was a lot of fun. This week again, did this a few uh, a few weeks ago when we recorded it. Uh, my friend Kimberly is a huge Star Trek Voyager fan, very specifically of tom paris um that's one of our favorite characters and i told her that we were going to be doing some co- kind of dumb stupid setup and um she bought it and it's a great fun surprise um and she's a very good sport uh, uh on the show and so the last just few minutes of the show are uh, a little star trek discussion which i hope you enjoy and if you do enjoy star trek discussions this is what's called a segue you might enjoy hosts with their own picard which uh my friend dan and i uh, do uh, where we talk about the TV show Picard and stuff that is relevant to Picard. Uh, we were supposed to do a lot of uh, in-between episodes of other shows that are relevant, including Voyager. Um, that's something we're picking up now, that there was a, a season two teaser. Um, that show doesn't come out till next year, so we've got a lot of time to fill. So I think you might enjoy that. Uh, one final thing in this intro, and that is uh, you may have seen on Twitter recently that I just announced that we'll be ending the show uh, in November uh, at episode 400. I think one of those things will be true and that will be the November thing. It may end up going a little past 400, but roughly 400 episodes. When I announced it, a lot of people came out of the woodworks and said, hey, uh, I'd love to do the show. Uh, And uh, I was like, okay, great. So it may go a little over 400, um, but our final one will be in November. Um, That's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so there you go. I want to thank you guys for your support. Thank you for listening. I hope you really enjoyed this one. And again, give hosts with their own Picard a listen. It's fun. Thanks so much. Enjoy this episode. I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1977, the album Let's Get Small, the artist Steve Martin, and my guest this week is Robert Duncan McNeil. Thank you so much for being here
1: great to be here i'm so excited it's funny when i got this uh message through my agent about this podcast the the title i'm a huge vinyl fan Mm -hmm. i've come back around to build rebuilding a collection of vinyl for myself in the last four or five years and uh And so I love listening to music on vinyl. I've got an old Marantz, 1970 Marantz amplifier. I've built everything, Advent speakers from back in the day. It's like my childhood recreated and um, my teen years recreated better than I had them. I think I had a horrible, like, all-in-one, eight-track player, you know, turntable, you know, everything. I think uh, Kobe was the brand that I had.
0: Okay, okay
1: which was probably from Kmart or something like that back in the day. Um, That's what I had then. Mm -hmm. But now I have a Marantz, 1970 Marantz, rebuilt from the ground up, beautiful amplifier, Advent speakers, much better than I ever had as a kid. And uh, I love it.
0: Are you still, do you ever though still have some nice headphones that you listen to? Are you always speakers only?
1: I'm always speakers. It's interesting. I probably should get, because I did have a, a pair of headphones that again, probably were from Kmart. I lived near Kmart okay. and growing up, I would skateboard down the road and wander the aisles of the electronics. And uh, what else did I love there? The sporting goods aisles and things <laughs> like that. But the electronics, yeah, for records I would get at Kmart. My stereo all came from there.
0: Did you get yeah. this record at Kmart? That's question number one. And,
1: well, interesting. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. I wonder where I got this out. Al- I think I got this album for Christmas.
0: Okay. Okay. I
1: I think that um, I, yes, in fact, I'm almost certain I must've gotten it for Christmas and I'm sure my parents didn't listen to it because they, they would have probably forbid it. Sure. Um, but all my friends were doing the jokes and you know, we would do the jokes at school. Everybody knew the jokes. And, and so I think my parents, know it said like what do you want and i probably said a couple of albums and this was one of them so um i don't know where they got this album
0: yeah that's funny yeah i was gonna ask because the parents do tend to fall into one of two categories which is hey they listen to these comedy records with me or uh i had to sneak it or you know be very very you know again gotta have the headphones um my my Uh kmart headphones in your case do you how much of it did you process? Because I, I, the thing is, I think he falls into the same category as a lot of comedy does when you're you know, roughly 12, 13, 14, where it's like, mm-hmm. I get the tone of this and I know why it's funny. And I know the goofiness. It's just as you get older, you kind of maybe absorb the irony a little more. It makes more sense to you on different levels. Did you were you oh, just totally. like this is goofy and I love it?
1: I think that, you know, the thing about Steve Martin, here's what's shocking, because I haven't listened to this album since I was probably a teenager. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and listened to it the other day, and it was amazing to me that some of the comedy was much more edgy than I remember Steve Martin being. Sure. And the kind of jokes and the kind of comedy that now would be completely inappropriate, not Mm -hmm. just... It wouldn't just be edgy now, it would be politically incorrect. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, Steve Martin, because he's such a nice guy. I mean, I think the history that I've learned or heard over the years is wasn't he playing banjo at Disneyland or something? Yeah,
0: he worked at Knott's Berry Farm, but also, at, you know, he might have, the banjo might have been Knott's Berry Farm because he worked at the magic shop in Disneyland, if I remember. That's correctly. what it was, the magic
1: yeah. shop. He would tell jokes. He'd do mm-hmm. uh, magic comedy. And try to sell the cards or the magic tricks and doing the comedy. And so there's a, there's a Disneyland quality about Steve Martin. That's, you know, he's America's dad kind of guy. He's very wholesome and, um, you know, non-threatening and seems like just the regular guy next door. So I think that was true back then, Mm -hmm. even back then, that was very true. But yet, like you say, the comedy was not so, um, you know, America's Dad. It was very, very much not that, you know. Um, Especially
0: when, like, if I look through the the track listing and I'm just I'm doing bits in my head because we've uh, to be fair, we've covered this album a lot on the podcast, and I was actually happy you picked it up because it's been a while since I've had a chance to listen to it, even though it had been covered a lot years before. This is Mm -hmm. it's now been enough time that I can listen to it again, and yeah, I I mean my, my whole my favorite bit I think on this record is like just it's violent it's violent but it's so funny and dark and it's just the one way to leave your lover bit which is just uh-huh. talks about uh-huh. shoot, the whole bit yeah. oh my god you know, the keys <laughs> she wouldn't let me so i shot her <laughs> so with i shot shotgun, her with a shotgun cut her right in half yeah. and it just <laughs> goes down this yeah. hill it's just oh, it's and that's one of those things where as a kid you must have felt like oh i'm not supposed to be listening to this oh god yeah
1: yeah <laughs> absolutely
0: Is it, was it a religious household as well? I mean, I don't really dig into that. I was,
1: I I grew up in like a, yeah, an evangelical or Southern Baptist household. So, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't talk about much of anything, you know, everything was very repressed and, uh, (laughs) and Southern Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah. So like even, you know, the title track, let's get small, you Mm -hmm. know, um, (laughs) no man, I'm tall, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. Um, clearly about getting stoned or drugs or whatever, but, but he's got a way like Steve Martin had a way that even in my Southern Baptist household, somehow he was just not threatening and it was okay. You know, it Mm. was, it was not like Richard Pryor or Mm -hmm. Carlin or some of these other comics who were very, you know, uh, very triggering for a lot of people. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Somehow Steve Martin could get away with it. So. I
0: know he was because he was the guy who continued like even it, it, those are perfect examples because Carlin and Richard Pryor both started as suits tame. I'm going to do Ed Sullivan and slowly but surely they become their own person. And yeah. Steve Martin always looked that way, but just slowly but surely became more and more subversive and still yeah. doing the same stuff. But it was way darker than anything anybody else is
1: doing. I Did have you- a... An- I have a, a, a an anecdote about Steve. I mean, it's funny because when my agents contacted me about your podcast, you know, Let's Get Small, that album was the one that came to mind. Mm-hmm. But then as I started thinking about it, his first three albums were almost of a piece for me, I've yeah. got to say. Let's Get Small, what was it, Wild and Crazy Guy, mm-hmm. Comedy's Not Funny. Those first three albums, I had all of them. Yeah, Listened to all of them did the bits at at school, you know, did, did the, all of it um, knew it, you know, by heart. And, and here's an interesting anecdote. So I don't know what year it was. I want to say it was probably 1979, 78, 79. I don't know when King Tut came out. The, Oh yeah. It would have been 78, I think. 78. Okay. So I was involved with a children's theater. That's how I got into showbiz. I was doing community theater in Atlanta, Georgia, and they took us on a trip every summer to new york city oh my god to go see some theater and and they would rent they would charter a bus and they'd fill it up with 30 or 40 kids and some chaperones and we'd go up to new york on a bus from atlanta and stay in a in, in a hotel uh we stayed at the waldorf astoria Love was it. the trip and we'd all jam in there like summer camp for about four or five days and then we'd take a bus back we'd go up maybe on a wednesday and come back sunday or something Okay. see a bunch okay. see a bunch of shows and, and and visit New York my very first trip to New York um, that that group they would sort of subdivide they'd say well who wants to go to the Statue of Liberty and who wants to go to Central Park and you know so smaller groups would go on t- different tours touristy things and I had chosen to go on the um, the Rockefeller Center tour mm hmm so they take you to, uh, you know, up to the, the viewing platform. They take you to NBC Studios tour where you get to tour, tour that stuff. And we had done that, I want to say on a Thursday or a Friday, we, we had gone on the NBC Rockefeller Center tour. And they were taking our group through the, uh, the studios there where they did Saturday Night Live and, and uh, what else happened there? anyway saturday night live was the big thing sure and as we come through in a group they say oh well this is this is a treat they're doing a dress rehearsal right now for saturday night live for tomorrow night's show and steve martin is the guest host and we're going to walk you through the booth the control room and you can see a moment of this rehearsal so i got to see steve martin we happen to walk through as he's rehearsing King Tut on, in the studio, it was a rehearsal. And I guess they filmed the rehearsal just in case things yeah. go bad, they can, they can roll to it or something. So it was a full out and we got to stay there. We got we got in, he was about to do the song. He did the whole song and then they basically shuttled us out. But we got to see the whole performance wow. on the monitors there from the control room. So that's another Steve Martin story that comes to mind. That I, I just, that stuck with me for years. I felt like I had seen behind the curtain and so exciting.
0: That's so good. I love, the thing is, you know, uh, as a kid, you know, I, I, I've talked a bit about like, I love them. Man- I like, I still get chills if I'm on a movie set or a TV set. It's one mm-hmm. of the only reasons I still do extra work every once in a while, just for fun. I like, I like mm-hmm. the chills, um, yeah. but I never got something that young. That must've been just so like, leave just such a huge friggin' mark on you. I love that. I love that you got that, that early. Yeah.
1: And I think, I I guess, you know, I've never thought of it this way, but, you know, growing up in Atlanta, so far from Hollywood or New York or any kind of professional show business back in the seventies, certainly
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, that that just didn't seem within reach any of that kind of like having a career in any kind of entertainment just seemed like something exotic and foreign and only magical people could do. And Mm. I, I actually, now that I think of it, that stuck with me for a long time because it was a moment where I was sitting there in that control room and I realized, Oh, he's a human being. He's right there. He's rehearsing this like we rehearse our little community theater plays. He's so much of it all of a sudden was brought into reach for me in that moment Yeah, to see him rehearsing, this song that had already been on the radio was like a top 10 hit you know king tut was a huge hit and um it brought it within reach and i'd never really i haven't really thought of it that way but i think that's true is that that was the first time where i sort of saw behind the curtain and went oh wow real human beings do this (laughs) it's not so far off and yeah it was pretty cool
0: Was there a point that you can, obviously this, it's probably a no, but was there a point in your life where, you know, you're doing a lot of theater as a kid, where suddenly you realize that that's also can be branched out into TV and movies, which is obviously where you ended up, where your career ends up? Like, when does that become obvious that that is also something you could pursue? Because you went to Juilliard and stuff, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious when it first like hit you that, oh shit, no, I could actually be on TV. I could be in movies.
1: I didn't think about television or movies, honestly, even after that moment, even, even in my younger days, because I had done this community theater, mostly musical theater as a, as a kid, um, I knew that I wanted to do more of that. And so to me, the thing that was sort of maybe within reach was, oh, if I go to New York, maybe I can get in, you know, a touring production in in the chorus of a musical, or I can, I can slowly. Um, I really believed back then that you sort of broke in at the ground floor and then you worked your way up mm. that you started in, you know, as an understudy or in the chorus. And then maybe a few years later, you get a couple of lines in a off Broadway play. And then maybe, uh, you know, to me that sort of like um apprenticeship and working your way up made a lot of sense. And so that's kind of how I looked at it. I think back then, I didn't think about TV or film. I thought about the theater, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um and it wasn't until I got to New York and started to get some of those, I got in the chorus of, uh, you know, an off-Broadway musical called Preppies because the Preppy Handbook was a big thing back then. <laughs> the Preppy Handbook was like the number one book on the bestseller. Everybody had the Preppy Handbook and they wrote this off-Broadway musical and I got my uh, my equity card and was in the chorus of that. And then... Uh, Actually, actually, I was an understudy in that is really what I was. I was what's called the swing. So I was mm. covering everybody, including the chorus and everybody else. But I got my union membership there and started working. And then um, what was I going to say? Oh, TV and film just seemed it. Yeah, that sort of happened by accident. And it was funny because that lesson for me was. I got a, an episode of this, uh, the, the first revival of the twilight zone. Oh yeah. And, um, and I, I got that job through a commercial agent that I had just recently gotten and hadn't even, I think I'd maybe done one commercial, um, for a tuxedo company. I played a kid in high school, putting on a tuxedo or something. That's it. That's all I'd done. Mm -hmm. Uh, and i get this episode a very big role in this episode they fly me out to hollywood my first time there and i'm doing a lead role in a in an episode of the twilight zone and i realize, oh you don't work your way up you just (laughs) get lucky or you don't (laughs) you know that was a real breakthrough for me of like oh it doesn't work the way i thought i'm not going to spend 10 years in the chorus and then maybe get a line and then maybe you know it'll just happen much more randomly. So um, yeah, that was my first, uh, my first TV show was the twilight zone, uh, an episode called a message from charity. And, um, and it's funny uh, a couple of years later, I ended up on a soap opera in New York city called all my children. I was on mm-hmm. that for three, three years. And um, while I was on the soap, my agent got me an audition for this, this uh movie starring steve martin called father of the bride and i auditioned for it and got a call back and then i got another call back where they asked we were um um, we were asked to come read with steve martin so i ended up i just remembered this as we're talking about i hadn't thought of this before this interview started but i went down to manhattan theater club because that was the casting director was the lady that I can't remember her name now. She cast the Manhattan Theater Club Theater, but she was casting the movie and uh, went to her offices there. And uh, there was Steve Martin. And I got to go in this little room and do these scenes that I had auditioned for a couple of times already.
0: Sure.
1: Um, He was the nicest man. He was so down to earth and friendly and warm and almost shy. Mm Mm-hmm oddly enough, he was almost kind of not nervous. Isn't the right word. I'm sure he wasn't nervous at all, but you know, I think he felt my, my anxiety, you know, I think he felt for the people that were coming into audition. And so you felt him sort of wanting to bring himself to that level of like, it's okay. Like, you know, relax and this'll be fun. and You know? And, uh, and we read a couple of the scenes together. I got to read with him, and it was wonderful. I didn't end up, obviously, doing the movie. A friend of mine, George Newbern, ended up uh, doing that that role. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, but that was uh, the second time that I came close to Steve Martin was uh, was auditioning for Father the Bride. So yeah,
0: I love that. Yeah, because my next question was going to be, have you ever worked with Steve Martin or in any way? But I love that. I love that. That's so good. It's an it's- audition.
1: That was it. Yeah.
0: It's not bad though. That is not bad. It is still acting with Steve Martin. Damn it! As far
1: as yeah. I'm concerned. you know,
0: it's a thing, man. Isn't that a It's a thing. It's and and thing. now, what is your experience now as uh, predominantly a director in casting? I, I'm, I'm I, I wasn't planning on going down, this, but you, you've now seen yeah. that look on a million people's faces. I'm sure because you produce as <laughs> yes. well. So I'm yeah. curious. Like what's your approach or do you have to stand back and let them work it out themselves?
1: I think when people, now that I'm a a director and a producer and when people are, when I, I sense, you know, anxiety or nervousness with actors coming in, I'll often just um, try to talk about anything but the work, you know, how are you doing today? Tell me about yourself. Like where, you know, where do you live? Like just easy stuff that they can, sort of get in their own body and their own life and sort of, oh, this is who I am. I live here and, and I, you know, I like this or whatever, you know, ask them just simple, easy, you know, easy questions that sort of get them back into themselves.
0: Yeah. Um, Have you had the reverse of the Steve Martin situation where you've auditioned or then ended up working with people who know you as Tom Paris?
1: Yes, yes. Yes.
0: How is, how is that? That's got to be a very strange situation or you're used to it. Maybe you're used to it. You've gone to cons. I'm,
1: I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of used to it now. You know, the, the Star Trek thing for me being on Star Trek as an actor for seven years, I was guest starred on the next generation. I directed mm-hmm. tons of Star Trek. I've been to all these conventions. Um, but it's funny it's funny i mean i'm trying to think of this in relation to steve martin and this comedy album um you know it's funny because steve martin has been through multiple phases in his career and his life you know and i'm sure that every now and then um he he meets someone who goes back to this album and says oh my god you don't realize how important this album was in my life and i'm sure that means a lot to him mm-hmm. even though he's been through you know steve martin has done so many movies now and so much and he's written broadway musicals and he's written books and plays and he's done all kinds of uh, really fascinating work so he's lived m- many lifetimes since doing this album in 1977. yeah it's true
0: but I-, I honestly think that that's one of the reasons he hasn't done this show not to say that my show is big enough to have steve martin although it is whatever he could do the show anytime he wanted but I do think he he would be afraid that I'd want to ask him about this record because he's probably been, again, you probably brought up a million times to him,
1: you know, probably been brought up a million times, but I, I, I bet you that when it does come up because it was early in his career and it was, you know, it was some of the earliest things that sort of defined him that it's got to have a special place for him. So I guess having said all of that for me, when people bring up star Trek, um, and even though it's been brought up a million times i'm i'm always appreciative when people say you know that that show you did in the 90s was very special to me because yeah, yeah. i went you know what i hear a lot is things like i was going through a hard time in my life and that character that you played or the show that you were on gave me comfort and gave me hope and got me through something that was really tough and I th- and I bet that Steve Martin has heard many, many times your album was a harbor in the storm for me when I was a teenager or your album made me laugh when I was having the worst high school years of my life or your silliness gave me some tools to go out and deal with the world in a way that was, you know, I I I, I would imagine that um that he hears that and really appreciates that.
0: I think you're probably right, and but he is, as you say, shy or whatever the word is for whatever he is. But that's absolutely how he comes across. Where he's just like, okay, I, uh, I have to be humble. Not I have to be. I think he just seems he seems like a very humble guy who likes to play the most braggadocious asshole as his comedy. Camera, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> I this. This al- Has this album ever, because I can, it's easy for me to ask somebody who is known as a comedian or like a strictly comedic actor, hey, has this album had an influence on you? But I, I am always curious for somebody who went to Juilliard and somebody who has had the career you've had, is there an influence? Can you say that this album has had an influence on your work or is it just part of your being?
1: I mean, it's funny for me as an actor, I was never known as a comedic actor. I mean, I think on Star Trek, my character had a lightness about him ultimately, not not initially on that show, but as as my personality started to come out in the character more over the years, they started to write a sort of lightness, a sort of sarcasm, a sort of um silliness, you know, my character on Star Trek had an obsession with this Captain Proton holodeck that was this retro black and white, you know, kind of Flash Gordon-y thing. And he really got into it and uh, was kind of silly and absurd. And I think that, I guess I would say that for me, Steve Martin being the kind of comic that I really related to. And like I said, I did the bits, you know, every day at school with my, my best friends. We knew all the words and we'd do the voices and the silliness. And um, I think it, it allowed me to find a kind of, um, silly, absurd sense of comedy that I brought to some of my work as an actor, but I definitely bring to my. It 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 defines very much my tastes as a director and as a producer. I d- I produced a show and directed twenty five or so of them called Chuck. It was a yeah. comic, uh, kind of a, a nerd comedy on NBC with Zach Levi as as a computer repair guy in a, in a kind of Best Buy store who uh, was secretly a spy and trying to save the world. And, and it had a lot of silliness in it and, and, the, and the goofy characters that worked in the store with him and, and his best buddy. And there was so much silliness. And to me, that was one of my favorite jobs because it allowed me to express my own taste in comedy and my own taste, my own sensibilities in terms of what's funny. And and uh, we did that on Chuck a lot. I would say it was very much in the vein of Steve Martin's school of comedy, yeah. And and I think that, yeah, listening to his albums, that he was the comic that I listened to, you know, Let's Get Small and um, Wild and Crazy Guy and Comedy's Not Funny, those albums, um or comedy is serious or comedy. What is the, what What's was the,
0: the other album? Oh, comedy is not pretty. That's what it is. Sorry. Comedy is not pretty. Yeah. I
1: was like, right. <laughs> yeah, comedy is not pretty. Yeah. Those albums to me sort of were the tastemakers of my sensibilities in terms of comedy. So absurd, goofy, um, um, you know, naive, yeah. um, earnest in a lot of ways. Um, um, those sensibilities definitely created my own my own sort of comedy sensibilities that I bring to when I produce or direct. I, I do a show right now with Alan Tudyk, a very talented comic actor, um, called Resident Alien, mm-hmm. and uh, um, there's a lot of silliness. I mean, as I look at the the images behind you of Steve <laughs> Martin with all of his, you know, really larger than life expressions and and physical comedy that i can see right behind you it reminds me of alan Tudick on this show resident alien where he plays an alien in human form trying to figure out how to be human and um you know even alan tudyk's you know what we what he came up with and and you know what we do on the show in terms of this alien making jokes and how he laughs at his own jokes looks like Steve Martin behind you you know mm-hmm. it, it looks it looks as large and silly this kind of earnestness this kind of innocence this kind of um crazy you know wild and crazy comedy um it definitely still like carries Steve Martin's taste into uh, into that show
0: so. Did did you pick up those next two albums on your own then once you finally had this record? Or did were, were they present? Yeah,
1: again? I think I did. I think I picked them up on my own and I probably got them as soon as they came out. Um, you know, albums used to come out on Friday, typically. Mm, okay. Um, I think, as I recall, or maybe I would just... But I remember going to the record store. So in Atlanta, when I was growing up, there was a record store called Peaches I was going to
0: say, I was wondering which fruit record store it was. Okay.
1: good. Peaches was one and Oz was another one that was in the, in the, the theme was the wizard of Oz. And so you'd kind of walk into Oz records and it would have a yellow brick road coming in the door and it would had all a very wizard of Oz, Emerald city theme. So Oz records, peaches. um, Those were the two record stores that I would, uh, that I would go to most of the time. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure I got these albums at one of those two places. Do
0: you have a particular favorite track on this record?
1: Hmm. I'm going to look at it now.
0: Yeah, I, I I have trouble picking. I mean, I, I I would only go to one way to leave your lover if only because I think I have most of it memorized still. <laughs> I think that's maybe yeah, why that's
1: that's one way to leave your lover's hilarious. I love uh, the plumbing the plumber convention bit. The uh, when he's like, okay, for this one, this one's for the plumbers, and I can't I obviously can't remember the whole bit now. Right. Um, but the plumber bit when he's like. He's like, uh, so he starts telling the joke, and it's a horrible joke. And then he gets to the the Allen wrench with a f- something seven millimeter socket, or I don't remember. It was just hilarious, and that one that one always makes me laugh. Let's get small. Um, mm-hmm. is very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't
0: know. I don't know. You, don't, you know, and nobody has to have a favorite. It's also weird with stand-up, too, because it's, in your head, it's kind of also just a full, for me anyway, a full experience, because you're, like, picturing yourself in the audience, and it's just him talking and talking. It doesn't matter what the friggin' track is or what the point of it yeah. is. It's, uh, yeah, it's this beautiful moment. It's so interesting to me, though, that, again, he only makes the, th- really, this one and the next one, I guess, the, yeah, so those three are really his only strictly comedy albums, because eventually he does... Steve Martin Brothers, which is its own thing. And then right. obviously just completely jumps ship and is like, no, I'm doing movies now. Um, you know, because why wouldn't you? You're the biggest name in the world. And if you yeah. don't want to do it anymore, you don't do it anymore. The So with those records, I mean, were these the only comedy records you were picking up or did you get other stuff? I would love to know what your comedy tastes were outside of this,
1: if you bought any other ones. I don't think I did. I think Steve Martin was it. I mean, That's awesome. okay. the, thing I, the thing I do remember is... When I was growing up, and I'm sure you've talked a lot about this, the Doctor Demento show. Sure, you know Doctor Demento came on in in Atlanta Sunday nights. Um, I think it usually started around seven, seven to ten, or I don't know how long the show was, but um, I would listen to Doctor Demento every Sunday night. That was a great way to wind down a weekend, and um, so I heard a lot of other comedy. On Dr. Demento, uh, you know, I remember being introduced to things like the Firesign Theater, um, some of those comedy bits or or all the novelty songs that he would play, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I, But I don't think I really had any other comedy albums except for Steve Martin. Um, yep. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I do remember a few years later getting Eddie Murphy's first album. And that was a huge hit.
0: Of course. Yeah. Uh, did um, you, did you follow Steve Martin right to movies as soon as, you know, the jerk comes out, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: That's when you got this different grasp of seeing him perform. I mean, you get 90 minutes of this weird type of pathos that doesn't make sense and maybe shouldn't <laughs> be drawing you in, but wow. That is, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's not something that I would sit a kid down and be like, here, you want to be an actor? Watch this. You it doesn't, that doesn't immediately track because it's not not easy to know what he's doing. He's not acting in the traditional sense. It's not.
1: No, not at all.
0: You couldn't break down that performance.
1: No, but it was also so, um, you know, I think because I had been in the theater as a, as a young actor and gone to theater school and it was something about what Steve Martin was doing that that felt connected to the theater. It felt theatrical and it felt, you know, it was not naturalism in any way. (laughs) And so I really loved that, that you saw this real physical comedian, um, this larger than life kind of performances that, that was really fun to watch and very different and very unique and, and felt like theater in a way, which I loved. So.
0: Did you, is there any element of your training as an actor where you would get to explore stuff like that in your own work or, cause I don't know what acting school is like. I, I can't even grasp, <laughs> is there an opportunity for you to just be a complete
1: jackass? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yes. And, and the, you know, when I went to Juilliard, we did all kinds of things like movement classes where you would work on how animals you'd imitate different animals you'd find an animal and become that animal whatever it was if it was a turtle or if it was a you know a jaguar or if it was a bird or whatever you know so yeah playing around with physical comedy we we had classes at juilliard one of my favorite classes was taught by a a, it was a mask class where you would use very traditional sorts of masks you started with neutral masks and then went into character masks and commedia dell'arte masks and things like that. French commedia dell'arte or Italian um, mask comedy, and you'd work with that. I love the mask class because it took, it took away the words. You didn't use words when you initially with masks. You'd use the character mask and that would sort of inform whatever the movement of the character. And so, yeah, I got to do some of that sort of thing like what i see behind you again what steve (laughs) martin's doing in terms of his physical comedy and um yeah uh i really loved it Uh, you know it was i was never i was never um a character actor in the sense in the way that steve martin uh was so naturally that that sort of thing um alan tudyk again going back to resident alien the show that i produce right now um alan tudyk went to juilliard many years after me and uh he and i've talked a lot about the mask class and the physical comedy work and all of that stuff you know alan is definitely someone who took those classes and took them to the next level and brings that sort of character work into things like resident alien and the physical comedy that he does so uh, Mm -hmm. and the absurd comedy that he
0: does right He's no. also a guy, obviously a talented voice actor, but a guy who can you, I don't know what his natural voice is, so whatever, but the voice that he uses for the alien and that I've heard him uses the robot and iRobot, which can mm. be variously, it's, it's always a little intimidating and scary. There's something frightening underneath that. But yes. <laughs> boy, oh boy, to use this, this one level of your voice to express mm. multiple things, obviously, again, working with the, your own face, but Holy car- uh, boy, oh boy. I yeah. really love that show. I've only seen the first two. I'm very much looking forward to the next, oh, cool! the next one. Yeah. So, it's I'm, a
1: lot I'm, of fun. Awesome. Yeah. We, we started that show before the pandemic and got shut down just as we were getting near the end and finished it up uh, just a few months back in August, September, October, finished filming that. And Alan just did a phenomenal job. He's so good in the mm-hmm. show. The show's doing really well. People are really digging it and, and, uh, sci-fi channel where it airs, uh, seems to be very happy so far. So hopefully we'll make more of those and, um, and Alan's phenomenal. And yeah, I finished that in October and went right into another comedy show called Turner and Hooch with, um, Josh Peck playing, um, basically, uh, uh, the son of Tom Hanks from the original Turner and Hooch movie. Okay. Uh, Picking up our story with his adult son, uh, and and in in our series, uh, his father, the Tom Hanks character, has just died of a heart attack, and there's a bit of a mystery around that. But his son, Josh Peck, has to take the uh, the grandchild of of the original Hooch, and and uh, deal with the dog. And so, there's a lot of great comedy in that. Josh Peck is very funny. Um, He's he's a he's a real modern day sort of Tom Hanks comedian. Josh, he's wonderful. So yeah, still still working on comedy every day. So
0: Are you the kind of actor who can, just going back to the mask thing, if someone were to give you a rendering of, this is what I kind of think the character looks like and feels like, What does that help you? Because I think some actors get intimidated about, I don't want to, I, I want to have my own interpretation. Hmm.
1: But it I, is like a
0: mask, you know?
1: Yeah, I loved... Um, so when I was on Star Trek as an actor before I started directing and stuff which is what I do now but when I was on Star Trek I played a human character and um often I was very jealous of the prosthetic actors that got these amazing alien creatures all over their face that sort of freed them up to create these crazy you know alien characters but I had one episode where my human character uh, broke the the warp barrier and transformed into this sort of lizard creature it, it sped up evolution by millions of years so that he became this lizard and he really his mind was believing his uh, my character's experience was that he was evolving into the superhuman what humans will be in millions of years because of this warp barrier that he broke through um And so I got to work with prosthetics and it was one of my favorite episodes, even though a lot of fans hate the episode because it kind of ended in a crazy way. Okay. But, um, (laughs) uh, it just went so nuts in terms of its concepts and some parts of the plot went, went off the rails a little bit. (laughs) It's just crazy. (laughs) But having said all of that for me as an actor to get the, the prosthetics to work with, and this creature that was created that I sort of literally transformed that started peeling skin away and this lizard is coming out and my tongue fell out and all of this really cool stuff that I got to do. And, and the emotional experience that he was having in the midst of all this, I I got to chew the scenery and, and just go crazy in a way that was very freeing. So, um, so I see how, you know, again, looking behind you at Steve Martin's sort of, becoming those prosthetic you know rubber faces and um oh rubber heads that's another is that on that album rubber the rubber heads bit
0: oh wait is it i know what you're saying i'm a
1: rubber head head. is that on the album i can't remember i now can't i've already forgotten myself (laughs) anyway um rubber heads that was a funny bit Mm -hmm. um but yeah we're looking at steve martin sort of with his rubbery face there and and transforming into almost a human prosthetic sometimes with his goofiness. Um, Yeah, it's very freeing, I think.
0: I would love for you to tell people at home, why listen to this record? Let's say they only know Steve Martin from movies, uh, or some appearances on TV, or maybe they're very young and don't know anything about him. Why give this one a listen?
1: Why give this one a listen? Wow. Um... (laughs) Why give this one a listen? I mean, there's so many reasons to give it a listen. First of all, his banjo playing, which if if you've only seen him in his movies and things like that, you have no idea that he is an incredibly talented musician. His banjo playing on this album is is is, you know, as good as any banjo playing I've ever heard anywhere. I'm sure people may argue that, but he is so good. Yeah. Um yeah, the to to see the other sides of him that um, that are so talented. um I think that's worth a listen. I think um I think his his sort of the way that he works the audience, you can hear it on this album, the way that he responds and has a relationship with the audience in a way that's really unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, it's uh, it doesn't feel like a, a standard comedian who's who's kind of, you know, riffing on the hecklers or whatever. It's much more than that. It's much more than that. Um, is the bit about um, is the bit about um, what's the oath he asked? He asked everybody to take an oath. Mm hmm. I can't remember. Hey, Crime Stoppers or something like that. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, I, I promise. I can't remember the bit and something about Oh, there's another one where he goes, he he. he it interacts with the audience. I, I think it's this album. It could be one of the three that we've talked about. But he says, uh, uh, I promise to be unique. I promise to be unique. And he has the audience yeah. repeating it. I promise to be different. I promise to be different. I promise. To not repeat anything other people say (laughs) it's just like it's so silly and stupid it's almost like like dumb bad dad jokes but he's able to yeah that's why i would say listen to this album because you know dad jokes get a bad rap and he's got a way of doing these kind of dad jokes that is brilliant that he yep. takes it to like another level. Cause if anybody, you know, if I tried to repeat it right now, it's not funny, but there's something about his skill and his talent and his enthusiasm and commitment that takes these stupid, sometimes stupid jokes um, and makes them really funny and catches people. And uh, I don't know, it's just a, it's a, it's a funny, feel good, you know, uh, yeah. It's just a lot of fun. And it's a full, it's a full meal. It's not just comedy, it's music. It's, it's music. It sort of captures the spirit of the seventies, the late mid late seventies of, you know, sort of what was left over from the hippies in the sixties and and the cultural revolution, what was happening in the disco party scene that was going on the nightclubs and disco scene, you know, captures the politics of that, of that era. And, and that sort of transitional time from, from, yeah, from the hippie, uh, you know, um, from the hippie days. And then he sort of captures that moment in time of that, that mid late seventies, um, what was going on. It's definitely worth a listen. It's, it's fun.
0: We've talked enough about process on this that I feel like I sug- should suggest to you and I can send a link to you where to find it cause it is online now. There's a record released uh during the next record called uh the Steve Martin Radio Hour. And it's just basically a podcast. It's a forty-five minute interview with him where he actually quite seriously breaks down his bits on Wild and Crazy Guy and why he made those choices. None of it's a gag. He's actually doing a straight interview. It's one of the only times you think he's done it. It's worth listening to. And I've recommended it to a lot of guests and to the audience a million times, but it's, it's worth listening to. Um Thank you very much for doing the show, first of all.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: would you tell people where they can find you online and what's coming up in terms of work that they should look out for?
1: Yeah, let's see. Uh, what I'm doing these days, uh, produced and directed on Resident Alien with Alan Tudyk. That's on the air right now. Um, I am currently filming uh, and producing a show called *Turn Hooch* with Josh Peck for Disney+. Plus. That'll come out in July, I think. That's the hope. On Disney plus Um, that's my work work my directing and producing work Uh, my my side project that's kind of a passion project and a lot of fun is a podcast that I do called the Delta Flyers Uh, you can find the free podcast anywhere you get your podcast Spotify iTunes wherever Uh, that's where we recap rewatch and recap every episode we started from the pilot episode of Voyager Star Trek Voyager we're now into early season three, so we're, cow. We're, uh, we're doing that. And uh, we also interview people that worked on the show. We, we, we remember, you know, I have forgotten a lot of the episodes of Voyager that we did. And so this has been a great way for me to go back and remember things that I've completely forgotten. Um, some of these, I didn't even watch when, when we made the show because we were busy making the show. So I'd miss a lot of episodes. So this has been a way for me to go back and see every one of the episodes we made. We've had uh, crew members and directors and actors and visual effects supervisors and our stunt coordinator. We've had all kinds of behind the scenes, people from star Trek come on. Uh, The free podcast is the recap only the Patreon site, which is the Delta Flyers um, on Patreon. Uh, that's where there's a lot of different levels. People can get different bonus material and different access to some of the behind the scenes stuff that we've researched and interviewed. It's a lot of fun. So the Delta flyers podcast, uh, has been, uh, is my, my weekends are spent working on that. And, uh, and I love it. It's been a lot of fun.
0: I will subscribe immediately because I have a number of friends who've been saying, Jason, you need to revisit Voyager, uh, especially if it's been a while. So that's something I'm doing because I'll just mention this now. My friend and I, uh, Dan and I do a, a show called Hosts with Their Own Picard. It's a very stupid name, but when the show Picard comes <laughs> out, we've tracked every every episode. We'll we'll do the next one. And everybody's like, well, if you want some more, you, know, you need to revisit Voyager. And I'm like, you're right. It's been a while. So I'm now going to have to listen to your show because that will Definitely.
1: It's a fun pot. It's been a lot of fun. You know, we've kind of come up with this format. We, uh, the way we work is we we don't rewatch it before we start recording the podcast. We sit down together, Garrett, who played Harry Kim, he and I sit down and for our Patreon members, they get some of this extra material, which is where we kind of go, okay, what do we remember? And then we sort of go, wait, is this the one where (laughs) the outfits look like Burger King (laughs) uniforms and, yeah, wait, no, that's the one where you kiss the girl, right? No, no, that's the alien dinosaur. Ate you. So we have all this crazy, like we tr- we really legitimately try to remember whatever we can. So that's always a fun process. And then we pause the the show and we go watch it separately. And we make notes and we film ourselves sort of reacting to some of it. And then we come back and we recap and we go, oh, my God, you know, I remembered this now. I, you know, now that I watched it and we go through the whole plot and the things you know that may have happened behind the scenes that no one would know, but we remember as we rewatch it, and then we do uh we do, we play some games with our patrons on our patreon side of things where we we pick winners and losers for each episode we talk about things we might want to do over and do differently, we interview guests there um yeah and 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 a lot of our patreon community has kind of gotten together on on um you know, uh, as a group. And so they have a watch party Friday nights before our episodes come Amazing. out. So they, they do a rewatch and they have their own conversation and, um, so it's good. been a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: That's a, a nice, fun. healthy way to revisit your past. Like it's, that's a very fun way to do it. I love yep. that. Yep. Um, now before I let you go, uh, and I can cut this out and you f- feel free to say no. Uh, my, okay. f- my friend Kimberly is a massive fan yes okay she, i would like to zoom her in she thinks she's doing something else entirely but you do you can say no no that's fine it'd be funny okay hey kimberly
1: hello uh
0: i want yeah. you to meet uh uh my uh, other guest on my podcast robert duncan mcneil holy fuck
2: i'm sorry hey, wh- whoa kimberly <laughs> <I'm> sorry. kimberly <laughs>
1: oh, you that look was... like a cat
2: no that is oh, my, my god cat. there we go holy <laughs> <fuck>. <laughs>
1: Kimberly, what's okay. going on?
2: Uh, not much. Um, we, we were we going to do a, a
1: mic check for this, and <laughs> I I thought we okay. were just doing a mic check, and
2: so did I.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. Nice good.
1: to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you. Oh, thank
2: you.
1: Yeah, right. we've just been having fun talking about Steve Martin. Oh, mm-hmm.
2: fantastic.
1: Basically how I taught him everything he knows.
2: Okay, that's, that sounds right. That, that tracks.
1: That's pretty much our takeaway from this conversation.
2: Fair enough.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Kimberly, yeah. do you do you want to apologize for not delivering his pizza on time?
2: Oh God. Oh that's... did you tell him? No,
0: I did not tell him that. Oh my
2: god. I had, what? I had I had oh my god. I had a dream. Okay. And you I had were delivering a dream. pizza? Yes. And I was delivering it to you and I was late and you were mad at me.
1: Oh, Kimberly. <laughs> But well,
2: then, yeah, and I, but I, all I wanted to do was tell you how Voyager is my favorite Star Trek, and I didn't get a chance to because you were mad.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's really mean of me. But you know, you got to understand, it's pizza. Like, it's fair. That's you fair. know, pizza is <laughs> very important, and you know, it's. I think it's worthy of, of you know, a hissy fit.
2: <laughs> okay,
0: that's fair for, for I'll, pizza, I'll, right? Yeah, like, totally no fair.
1: one, no one can argue that. So. Mm-mm. Well, now you actually get to, not just in the dream, you get to tell me about your Voyager uh, experience. So,
2: Okay, um, so here, let me make sure. Can you guys, am I on the right
1: microphone?
0: No, I'm not. Oh, I don't know.
2: Oh, is, we... is this better? Oh, yeah.
0: Sounds good. Oh, there, there we go. So okay, better.
2: I was on my webcam. Okay, so, I mean, I grew up watching it. I uh, watched it every night with my stepbrother. Um, I was teenager at the time and you know i grew up i was born in 84 so i watched a lot of tng as a little kid but um it wasn't until voyager that i really like actually watched new episodes every week and
1: right sure yeah
2: and that was that t- it's i grew up you know tng era and my dad was a always had spock years and he was a huge trekkie but
1: did he go um, to conventions did he take you to conventions? yes were-
2: yes i went wow, to one nice. we went yeah we went to one That's and we met um James Dewan, Nichelle Nichols, George Takei, and Walter Koenig at wow. one. Wow! And then we went to another, and it was Michael Dorn, Marina Cerde, uh Tim Russ, and Aaron Eisenberg. Oh wow! Yeah. So.
1: You're very the- lucky because some of those people aren't around anymore. Yes. So. Yeah. Very.
2: It was. Lucky. It was. It was. I have.
1: <laughs> Jason, nice. <laughs> Had to.
2: Um. Yeah, it was it was a nice experience meeting all those folks and then uh Boise Comic Con a couple years ago some other folks showed up. I didn't actually meet any of them, but I got to see like John DeLancey was there and um oh totally um, freaking out here. Uh, Denise Crosby <laughs> was there and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. didn't get to talk to them, but I did post on Facebook. Oh my God, I'm standing six feet from Q and lost my mind, but <laughs> yeah,
1: of course <laughs> who wouldn't right. Delancey's Delance great. Yeah. He was on our show a couple of times.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Q,
1: yeah. Q came on our show a couple of times and uh, Delancey's awesome. Yeah. He's great.
0: Kimberly, have you heard his podcast, his Voyager no. podcast?
2: I've listened to the first three or four episodes it is on my list to start over and listen from the beginning um i recently binged during quarantine all of tng deep space nine of voyager holy shit that was just right a few months ago and then that was around the time i was finishing my rewatch of voyagers when um delta flyer started And so i started Uh listening to it having just watched the episodes and i was like okay great you know but then i just I haven't been listening to many podcasts at all lately. I, I've been
1: I go through phases myself. Yeah, I go phases.
0: No, I, I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm a podcaster, Kimberly. <laughs> God damn it! Where's my fucking pizza?
2: I'm sorry. Yes,
0: where's our pizza? <laughs> I'm
2: sorry. I'm in Idaho. It's too far away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I will very quickly say thank you again for doing the show. And you're uh,
1: very welcome.
0: Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts Stolen Dress Entertainment.
1: Hey, it's my turn. Ah!